Welcome to the Sports to Business Podcast. This is your host, Tanvir. I chat with former and professional athletes turned business leaders and executives on leveraging the principles from sports to win amidst disruption. On this episode, I had the privilege of chatting with Femi Ayan Badejo. He's a former NFL player and a Super Bowl winner and a founder of Health Real, as well as a NASA technology partner. He is also a human performance expert and a certified nutritionist. Femi is a graduate from the San Diego State University with a BA in psychology, as well as an MBA from Hopkins University, and he has been raising the bar post-retirement. He founded Health Real, which is a digital self-assessment, digital self-health assessment and education platform. Health Real views customers holistically and understands the interconnected relationship between mental, emotional, and physical health outcomes. Remember to follow Femi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In this episode, we discuss Femi's journey from NFL to being the first NFL player as a NASA technology partner. Femi discusses why you always need to be building your toolbox. We also dive into the story behind founding Health Real during his MBA, how Femi deals with naysayers, and the impact Femi's early childhood had on his professional and football career. If you like this episode, if this resonates with you, please remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend. All right, folks, this is a high-energy episode, so let's get ready to jump right into it with Femi Ayan Badejo. Welcome, everyone, to Momentum Elite Sports Business Podcast. Today, we have a really special guest, somebody who has been on the business side and on the sports side, and he's won some really big championships. Femi Ayan Badejo, welcome to the show. Hey, Tanvir. How are you, brother? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So Femi, you are a former NCAA player who went to the NFL undrafted, won a Super Bowl, then did your MBA, and then you have a partnership with NASA. How crazy of a career and how remarkable of a journey is that? Kudos to you. And I'm sure our viewers or watchers, or listeners will love to dive into all these great things you've accomplished in your career. Yeah, you know, what's interesting. I, I um, Sometimes I look back like I, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and I want to check my profile and just make sure everything is organized the right way and i have my credentials and my education kind of lined up in my previous jobs and i'm like man that's my profile like that's that's cool like i i feel like um i've accomplished a lot um i've accomplished a lot of things i never thought i would do um but i'm not even close to being done you Mm -hmm. know I, i still have so much more to do and um i'm really motivated by science very motivated by critical thinking and education and so I think that my my journey and the things that interest me and my company just reflect that interest and that curiosity that I've never lost had it as a kid. That's amazing. I think the best thing you said right now, Femi, is you're not done. I think we're never done. I'll never be done, bro. Never gonna I'll never be, be, done. be done. As long as as, as long as there there's sentience and sapience in this body, yeah. I will never be done. And my kids, trust me, they they will attest <laughs> that I'm never done. They I'm on their ass constantly about things that they don't realize how important these habits are that I'm trying to instill in them, but they'll get it one of these days. That's amazing. Well, well. so on the concept of never being done, Femi, how did it all start for you? How was it like growing up playing sports, playing football? Yeah, you know, I have an interesting life arc. You know, my dad came to the U.S. from Nigeria. My mom's mother came to the U.S. from Ireland during the potato famine. They met in Chicago at university. Um, studied together and then we moved back to Nigeria. We lived in a house with no running water, no electricity for a few years. Wow. And eventually my mom had enough of Nigeria. We moved back to the States, lived in poverty in the US in a housing project, you know, but the one thing that was always consistent in my family was education. 
My mom has a master's degree. My dad has a master's degree. My stepdad has a PhD. And what really changed my life is when we left Chicago and moved out of a housing project to Santa Cruz, California. And instead of worrying about survival, if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs, like the first thing is like shelter, survival, protection, right? Once that was taken care of and Santa Cruz provided that, my whole life arc really changed. My dad was doing his PhD. We lived up um, um, at, on the campus of UC Santa Cruz, which is beautiful and pristine. I got a telescope, you know, I, I was able to start really looking at things um, from a science perspective. Even as a kid in poverty, I, I was able to look at some of these things, but I think survival had more of a priority than curiosity at that point. But once survival was taken care of, my true um, potential as a curious you know, human being could take over. And I think living in a safe environment like Santa Cruz, California, really allowed my dad to instill uh, great processes in from an analysis standpoint, but also allowed me to really dig into all the things that excited me. And the first thing that really excited me was the stars and uh, astronomy and wow. astrophysics. And um, I really took a latching onto that as a little kid. And that curiosity from really wanting to understand uh, space travel and light speed and time and all these things really started to permeate all these other areas of my life as I got older. I still, you know, Carl Sagan was a big influence on me when I was young. I really loved him and his energy. Um, and so uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has replaced him in my life as this kind of world leading astrophysicist that I really love to see on TV and history yeah. and science channel. And those were the foundations of kind of as of, of what's propelled me forward um, to kind of where we are today. I know I, I skipped over a lot, but I'm sure we'll dig into more detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So, yeah. I mean, you so when I was a kid, my parents took me and my younger sisters to India for five years. I would be my grade one to five there. And it was a very different step down from from Toronto. And when I came back, a lot of the stuff that I saw around me was like, wow, you know, this is Canada. Everything is great here. Uh, because in India, even though we were living well off, um, it was still not the same thing. You still saw poverty. You still saw that, you know, you can't just go to a convenience store and get stuff like this. You know, there was there was always it takes time. It takes um, you need people. It also in India. There's also a lot of corruption. So you saw that side of things there as well. When you, when I came back to Canada, it was like, you know what? Wow, what a great country. But I always remembered what it was like. And I was always constantly reminding me that, hey, you know, you are pretty privileged to be here. Uh, so my question for you, Femi, you know, given that you spend those few years in Nigeria with, with no running water, did that some, you know, somehow propel you to do, say, you know what? Life is pretty good and I got to make the best of what I can do with the opportunities that I have in front of me in the U.S. Yeah, I think that um, I'd be lying if I said I remembered everything about Nigeria. A lot of it is my mom telling me stories about it. I do recall some things, you know, because I, I, I was young, but I do remember I had lots of visions and lots of flashbacks. Nigeria in the 70s, I mean, think about it, pretty much a third world country, mm -hmm. you know, probably very similar to how India was in the 70s, you know, and there's still parts of Nigeria and parts of India and parts of Africa and Asia that are so, you know, very rustic. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it, people were living off the land still. Um, so uh, I, I just know that there's something about where I come from, whether it's my mom or my dad, that is extremely... Um, uh, realizes the value in education and continuing to work your way up the hill, so to speak. Right. And for me, 
I would feel like I'm doing myself a disservice if I'm not always trying to be the best version of myself, right? And I've always been an A-type kind of a bit obsessive compulsive about things as a kid, not like diagnosed where I need like help, like why let it distract me. In a good way. It's enough of a angst that order and um, scheduling and um, regiment being regimented is important to me. And I don't I don't think I would be where I was if I wasn't structured that way. You know what I mean? Mm. So this idea of structure, taking advantage of opportunities, continuing to be uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. These are all things that allowed me to excel as a data science nutritionist, you know, health and wellness expert as well as a professional athlete like those core traits translate to everything you know what i mean they work everywhere you know so i i at some point explicitly realized that these traits that i have these these idiosyncrasies about me are beneficial most of the time (laughs) most Most of the time you know so that's how how i look at it so how did this structure help you make a mark in the ncaa and the nfl I would say that where a lot of young kids, you know, I was a 16 year old senior in high school and I was a good high school athlete, but I think being young, you know, there were kids that were two grades below me that were my age. You know, there were every kid in my grade was at least a year older than I was. So um, that psychological deficit that I had just through maturity is is a bit problematic, although no one knew how young I was because I was bigger than them and I I was getting good grades, Um, but it shows up at some point and ultimately you learn that hey maybe i need to take a step back and i need to sharpen my tools a little bit and as a 17 year old when i graduated i made the conscious decision to take a year off of school and get a job i worked in a retirement home in the kitchen bussing tables and serving the elderly that lived in this long-term care facility in santa cruz california and having that job as a 17 year old I knew that I was only going to do that for a year and that I would go to my local junior college and that I would play football and baseball and that all my dreams would happen after that. And man, it did. They did. But people thought I was crazy when I said I was going to get a job and go to the gym and work out. And guess what? In a year, I gained 20 pounds of muscle from when I was 17 to when I turned 18. Um, I went out and crushed it in football and baseball and ended up, I could have played either sport, ended up getting a football scholarship. And this regiment, this job, this structure was all my idea. No one told me to do it. It was something that was in me that I knew would give me the best chance at reaching my goals. And I look back at my 17 year old, 18 year old self, and I go, damn, I don't know what it was or how I did it, but I just had an idea and I stuck with it. And it gave me a lot of confidence at that young age to trust my instincts. Doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes. Doesn't mean I haven't, you know, fallen off or questioned things I've done, but to take your life into your own hands as a teenager and to see things go the way that you want, to get a division one scholarship, to make it to the NFL. None of that would have happened had I just gone right to college out of high school. I I looked at myself and saw my flaws as a 17 year old and said, I need to work on this, 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 and this. And the way to do that is to step back, get a job, make some money, go to the gym, exercise, get your head right, and then go back to school the next year, which I did and I never, loved school so much to be in the real world as a 17 year old with a job riding the bus to and back from work and walking to the gym and walking to the bus station um i mean i've been riding buses my whole life but this time i was doing it because i chose to not because i had to 
that gives you a different sense of ownership on your life trajectory. Mm -hmm. And you and you know that this is something that you can always leave because you have the option versus being stuck in something that you don't want to do. I think a lot of people get stuck in a career that, you know, they hate, but because they don't have the structure, they don't have the discipline, they just kind of keep going along every single day, hating life, hating work. So, you know, that's uh, yeah. And the other thing that I remember, Femi, is when I was in grade 12, um, I also decided to go back for a year for a very similar reason. I have a late birthday. I'm a little younger than most of the people in my class and no one told me to do it. I just did it. And, you know, I made the decision to go to the college that I went to, which is the McMaster in Canada that year. Because I had like said six, you know, 10, 15 different options that, that I could have gone. And my parents wanted me to go somewhere else. But for some reason, I'm like, I just want to go here. I don't know why. And when I look back, that was the best decision I made because it you know, helped me mentally, helped me from a school standpoint. But we also won a championship. And I didn't know that we we're going to win a championship when I was getting recruited, but I just had some sort of an instinct in me. So I think we all have to give ourselves a bit more credit about the gut feeling that we have in some crucial moments in life. Um, it, it's just interesting to brought it up because you said the same thing. And I was like, you know what, maybe there is something that we should be listening to ourselves versus always trying to play by facts and data and, and objectively. I think there has to be a bit of a mix of the two. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that um, thinking for yourself, cri critical decision making, deciphering of information and data, quality information, that's a big problem in the world today, yeah. especially in the US. You know what I mean? If we think of where we are as a nation today, um, I've never been more concerned right now than I've ever been in regard to how misinformation mm -hmm. and the inability to critically think has really handicapped people in regard to what they believe and the decisions that they make. It's really problematic. And I'm envious a little bit of Canada. I'm, I'm a little envious sometimes of some of the Scandinavian countries and uh, places um, uh, like Australia and New Zealand. And I know that I look, I love living in the U.S. You know, I'm an I'm a Nigerian Irish American, and I say that proudly. Yeah. We have 330 million people in this country. We are the biggest experiment on the planet, and it comes with its downfalls. And I'm very aware of them. I'm not the patriot that's going to be like, oh, we're the best at this, and we're this, and we're that. No, we have our issues, 1,000 percent. Would I want to live anywhere else? Probably not. But I think there's a lot of other countries doing amazing things. And if we just look to the north in Canada. There's a lot of harmony that you guys have that I wish we did, but yeah. there's also a lot of differences. You know what I mean? So I just think that this, this, um, this per, this, this kind of, you know, misinformation yeah. bubble and this spreading of pervasive, uh, mythology is really affecting how we treat each other Absolutely. and how we are cannibalizing ourselves in some way. Um, and all you have to do is look at the 2020 election, misinformation on COVID vaccines, uh, misinformation on the Delta variant. Um, you know, we can go on and on about all the different things that are problematic for this country. And these are self-inflicted wounds. Like we're doing it to ourselves. Yep. And, and, and by the way, misinformation around COVID isn't just happening in the US, it's happening everywhere. Obviously, if you just look at like, you know, vaccine vaccine hesitancy globally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know how we i don't know how we got stupid i don't know how we forgot that vaccines have been around for a couple hundred years now and if george washington didn't vaccinate his troops we might not even have the us today you know what i mean wow. our our ability to create the most amazing things that we've seen technologically 
is pushing us forward in one direction, but the ability for all of us to question the and the intelligence of people that are the brightest people on the planet when it comes to virology and understanding the human immune system. Your fake infographic on Facebook has more waiting than an expert that's been doing this their whole life. What are you thinking? You know what I mean? And it's become politicized. Uh, religion's gotten involved, right? There's all these things. That, yeah. and, I, I, and, I, and my job is not just to do what I believe in regard to building this, this self-help ecosystem and, and digital platform that I'm building, but it's also to speak the truth. And speaking the truth, in my opinion, is way more important than your right to say whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like censorship, I don't agree with censorship by any means, but I believe that truth should be the most important thing that we discuss, not your feelings on something. Your feelings are not scientifically driven. You Absolutely. know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's all these things make me who I am. Like this, this yeah. desire to be honest, truthful, and also to be a scientist and to take in information and, and, and evolve and adapt and adjust as, as I learn. You know, it all goes together. And to your point, Femi, I think we're misusing the our ability to have the right of, of opinion. We're holding it higher than the truth in some cases. Absolutely. And that's where we have to draw the line. Absolutely agree. And um, I have no problem speaking my mind or going directly at people that I, I see on social media, um, people given platforms that are clearly uh, diluting fact and yeah. weighing um, what you hear right now, which disgusts me, I hear it all the time. This is my truth. No, this is not your truth. This is your opinion. Because you're you're taking the word truth and you're adulterating it's it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not truth. You know, my my truth, no, there is no my truth. There's just truth and there's your feelings. Like we can debate about chocolate and vanilla ice cream. You know what I mean? We can debate. And by the way, chocolate is definitely better. Absolutely. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when it comes but when it comes to our safety as a society, you know, what you do affects me. Just like secondhand smoke affects me. Well, you not being vaccinated could affect somebody downstream. You know what I mean? It could hurt somebody and not intentionally, but for you to just act as if it's your choice and it doesn't affect anyone else, you're being idiotic, you know? Yeah. And so I know I, I, this discussion wasn't supposed to go down that. that no, no, that, this uh, is, that, this that, is that this too, but you know, hey, I'm an open book, so. Absolutely. You know. And this is this is what we want to hear. This is what people want to hear. Uh, you said, Femi, you mentioned that you're doing something to help people through Health Real. Um, what is Health Real? How did you get started on that? Walk me through that. Yeah. So Health Real is, um, is, is, is kind of, you know, it's the company that I formed over the last couple of years. Um, we are a digital self-health assessment and education company. So we look at mental health, emotional health, and biometric data, which is basically physical health, right? Like body composition, metabolic insights, disease risk. But we also look at how your how depression, anxiety, and stress affect your ability to navigate what I call kind of these um, traditional health performance metrics, you know, sleep, um, exercise, uh, caloric intake, macronutrient splits, like all the things that make people's eyes roll back in their head, right? So I wanna make it fun, I want to make it engaging and I'm taking a bit of a different approach because I'm really looking at it holistically where a lot of companies now are focusing on one piece of it. I'm focusing yeah. on the whole pyramid, like all of it at one time. And I think that gives me a really uh, huge advantage. And also it creates a bit of a barrier to entry in regard to the different IP that we have and, and partnering with NASA and working Very with John Hopkins and different things like that. So I think we're protecting ourselves by being um, holistic in our approach. 
And just to go back a little bit further, I've always had an interest in human performance. It's probably along with like the stars in space, right? Being the best version of myself. I couldn't articulate it as a teenager, yeah. probably the way I can now, but it's always been, has been what's driven me. My undergraduate degrees in psychology. Um, I've always, uh, you know, since uh, probably around my 16, 17 year old, uh, you know, uh, days really started to look at better ways to maximize my time in the gym. I started working out when I was 15, supplementation, um, you know, uh, really looking at fitness techniques in appropriate form to uh, make sure I don't get hurt and things like that. And so when I retired from the NFL in 2000, I, I basically retired from football in 2010. I jumped right into the brick and mortar health and fitness space with a training facility that I built with a couple partners in, in La Jolla in San Diego. Um, got my personal training certification. I owned 35% of the business. Now, mind you, I'm just out of the NFL at this point. I did have some entrepreneurial experiences in real estate and other things. And, but this was like kind of like my first hands-on with business. a build out and hiring contractors and really looking at marketing and, and financials and really having to understand price points and, you know, what are people comfortable with paying and understanding the community and the environment that we're in and the amount of disposable income that people had and things like that. So I just dove in head first and I loved it. And after a few years, um, I decided to apply to a program through the NFL. Um, it's an NFL program that is highlighted by a one week immersion at a business school. This happened to be at Stanford. I grew up in the Bay Area. Stanford is a hour flight from San Diego. So I was like, man, I get to go to one of the best business schools on the planet for a week and no really yeah, so I went and did that. And when I left, I knew that I wanted my MBA. So I found a way to tell my partners that like, hey, look, I really want to move to the digital side of this. Fitbit, Garmin, Apple, we're starting to create different things. You know, uh, My Fitness Pal and all these different tools are coming online. And I was mesmerized by the tech side of this. By the way, I had no tech background at all, you know? So I was just kind of learning as I went, kind of self-taught as I've always been. Pick up a book and start reading. Pick up another book and start reading. Buy a buy a tracker. You know, look yep. at these platforms and, and see the vision for where they're going. And I saw it right away. So fast forward to 2014, which is two years after my trip to Stanford. My kids were in Maryland. I played for the Ravens. I was always going back and forth. I figured the selfish thing to do would be go to to go to Stanford, which was my dream, was to go do my master's at Stanford. But the next best thing was I'll move back to Maryland and I'll go to Hopkins. I think when it comes to public health and when it comes to school of medicine, Hopkins is as good as any school on the yep. planet. So I enrolled at Cary at their business school. I got my MBA with an emphasis in, in digital health. Um, uh, I basically had this vision of a platform that looked at kind of how professional athletes and a professional um, uh, medical team slash nutritionist slash trainer would analyze an athlete and I wanted to build that for the regular consumer. Mm -hmm. Now, people see me and they think oh, I built this for athletes. Now, athletes can can use this, but this is more for the the general person that just wants more data. And as we know now, all kinds of people want more data, right? So I started looking at what are the what's the functionality that we need? What's the IT and technology that we need? Does it exist? No, it didn't exist. That's the first thing. So now we have about three different patents that we're working on simultaneously. Um, my, one of my professors at Hopkins introduced me to NASA tech transfer. There's a NASA lab right here in Maryland. I pitched NASA on the platform. They showed me an algorithm that they said they thought I could use. I was able to use it and license it. I was the first athlete 
uh, current or active, I'm sorry, retired or active to ever sign an exclusive licensing agreement with NASA or any kind of licensing, licensing agreement with NASA. I acquired that, that um, algorithm and I embedded it into the platform. And, um, you know, I started hiring engineers and uh, folks that were really astute in AI and machine learning. And now we have a nice little team that is uh, highly intelligent when it comes to the kind of the regression, machine learning, neural network based uh, algorithms that we deploy to give people really amazing health data in minutes. Like they literally, yeah. and we're in beta, we're in beta right now. We're working on closing our series A round of funding right now as well. So there's a lot of balls that are in the air that we're juggling, amazing. but yeah, but the truth is, is that I, you know, I, I kind of just blew through the last 11 years for you right there. But if you just think about, you know, I was in San Diego personal training and now I'm the founder and CEO of a company that is really revolutionizing how we engage customers, the kind of information and education that we give them, really hoping to help them self-actualize and be the best version, version of themselves. And we look at not just food and exercise, but psychology, right? Uh, information, um, awareness, survival and trauma. All these things are embedded in this platform. It's really my life's work condensed down into this, uh, you know, digital health assessment and education platform. That's really what it comes down to. And I'm super proud of what we've done and we have a lot to do still, so. Wow, well, kudos to you and the team, Femi. That's uh, that's amazing. The, um, you know, it's crazy how everything you've done in life all comes together at one point. And I think Health the Radio is that, and you're seeing that right now and you're aware of that. And that I think is a huge trend from a founder standpoint. A lot of founders, a lot of CEOs, you know, I think, the reason they don't scale is because they're not aware of what they're building sometimes in the stuff around them. So the fact that you brought it all together, I think that's a huge strength. And, you know, honestly, that's probably your competitive advantage right now. As you mentioned, entry, people can't, in barriers to entry. That's exactly it. How many people are there that went to the NFL, have an MBA with a, you know, background in technology, then have a partnership with NASA? Not many. So it's very hard to replicate that. And then I think for everybody watching and listening, that's how you should do business. Find other th find things that others cannot copy. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Tanvir? I think you hit the nail on the head, and and, and um, you're actually um, leading me to the next statement that I was going to make. You actually intuitively picked it up. And when I talk to VCs and when I talk to potential partners, the one thing that I say is there's there's four seats at this table, mm. um, and it's the consumer, it's the athlete, it's the practitioner, and it's the technologist. Yeah. I sat at all four of those four seats. seats. You know what I mean? Really? I have, I, and, and I, I, I say this to people because I know how educate, how important education is. And it's not to, I, I feel like sometimes it comes across as um, conceit or arrogance, but it's really not. It's really more me trying, because I've never been given anything. I've always had to prove myself. Mm -hmm. So I think in me, it's, I just don't have a problem saying like, this is what I've done. I have a degree in psychology. I have a master's from Hopkins. Uh, my MBA, you know, um, I have, I'm a certified nutritionist, right? Yeah. I'm a former certified personal trainer. What a Super Bowl. Um, and I, and I, I've won a Super Bowl. I played in the NFL for 11 years. Um, I've coached, um, I've done speed and agility camps. I've done boot camps. I speak to MBA students. I speak to, to corporate executives. I guest speak. I'm involved in so many things. It's not because I want people to know all my accomplishments. It's because I want people to know that I take this shit serious. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't do anything unless I prepare myself first. And every year prior to COVID, I've tried to 
immerse myself in some learning environment to acquire another credential or another, you know, certification, so to speak. I didn't get to do one last year. I do want to do one this year. But the last one that I did, which I think is, has been so valuable, is I went to Harvard and I went to their um, Harvard Extension School yep. uh, in Cambridge. And I did a one week program there. Uh, and I, I, I received my advanced negotiation certification. You know what I mean? Clutch. And I, I did that because I find myself talking to Apple and Fitbit and MyFitnessPal and Microsoft and Google and different people from all these different companies. It's times they're just casual conversations. All these people I speak to aren't necessarily gatekeepers or high level decision yeah. makers, but guess what? They're embedded in these companies. They're giving me guidance. Some are very high level, Samsung. Um, and I've, I did have a negotiation course at Hopkins for sure. Every MBA student does, but to just go to Harvard for a week and to be in that environment with 40 other entrepreneurs and, and business professionals with one of Harvard's professors that teaches the course at Harvard, there's some kind of confidence you get from that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm checking these, these educational boxes because I feel like they add value to the entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh, closet that I have, right? I just pull out a different wardrobe that day for the task at hand. And sometimes you got to wear different things. So you got to wear them all, right? Different hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just feel like um, I want to continue. There's a program at MIT that I want to do on data analysis that looks amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think uh, when I have time, I'm going to do that program. You know, MIT has a program and um, there's another program at, um, man, is it Princeton? I can't remember which Ivy League school it is, but there's a few of these programs out here. Some of them are AI-based and neural networks. Some of them are data yep. analysis. Some of them are focused on analytics. Some of them are, are just biz best business practices, right? Uh, regulatory issues that you have to deal with when it comes to the FDA and other reg uh, government bodies that you're looking for approval from. So the more I can know, it just allows me to walk into a room and at least have some level of, of discussion and ability to speak freely and honestly about what I need and what I want. And Without learning and continuing to push myself, yeah. I may be completely in the dark sometimes, which is where you don't want to be as an entrepreneur. You're building your tool set, right? Absolutely. Exactly it. Yeah. And then you can pull whatever tool you want to use when you need to use it. And this is the way I've also seen it. Like, you know, certification, I have an MBA, even stuff I learned in, in football, it almost always checks a box of, you know, what are the four or five key skills that you need in your career? What are you doing at this point? And how do you build on these different requirements right so I, I i honestly think and question for you Femi, as you said negotiations why aren't more students learning or why aren't more students taught sales negotiations why are more students not taught the softer skills because that is exactly you're a ceo of a tech company and you are learning how to negotiate you know why is that the case and how can and why should people be investing in soft skills, especially as the disruptive environments gets even crazier? That is such a good question. And um, prior to COVID, I would do this. It, it was like mock interviews with business students at Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, we were doing these in person and I would be one of the interviewers, right? Yeah. And all these kids from Asia, Africa, the US, U the UK, their resumes are pristine. Like, you know, these are graduate students that have gone to Ivy League schools. Some have gone to USC, UCLA, UC San Diego, um, you know, Northwestern, you name the university and all of them have, they check every box. The issue is the soft skills. It is amazing how soft-spoken, unenergetic, um, 
some have the, they, they don't have the ability to be in the moment and kind of off the cuff and just be on their toes. And I try to tell them like, look, and it comes down to your resume and another adult's resume. Yep. And maybe their resume is not as quite as good as yours, but I have energy with them and I enjoy being with them. Who do you think I'm gonna hire? I'm gonna hire them. People hire who they like. Exactly. And so you can be the most intelligent person on the planet, but if you can't pull that intelligence out and create a deliverable, mm -hmm. something that I can use or something that makes me feel like, oh, I can trust this person. You, you, you gotta be outspoken. Um, and so, and presentation is everything. You know what I mean? Like. Some of them, I'm just like, did you just roll out of bed? Like, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't get yeah. it. And and I'm the last person to tell anybody to put a suit on. I don't care about that. I want you to smell good. I want your breath to smell good. I want you to look like you care a little bit about how you look. And I want you to give me a little energy. And of course, I want you to have a great resume. But I'll give a little bit on the resume to have the other things, which is kind of crazy, right? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little crazy when, you, when I say that out loud, but it's true. And I still yeah. find now that communication is the great leveler when it comes to all things, right? If you can talk and you can articulate your thoughts, you have some creative, a creative ability and you have some skill you're willing to stand on and say, I believe this and this is why. I don't want someone to be like, well, what do you think? What do you think? No, no, I, I didn't, no, it's not about what I think. I hired you to, to do something. I, I don't want to think about that anymore. I want you to think about it. And I want you to give me advice. Exactly. And tell me which direction we should move in. And then I'll decide if I want to move in that direction or not. But I don't want to create the solution and then decide if it's the best one. That's not my job. I'm, job. Not that smart. I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. I know what I don't know. I know that I need to have people around me that are experts in their field. And that's why you're here. You know what I mean? Yep. I find that kids today rely too much on texting instead of having a phone, a phone conversation or a video call. I think kids today, when somebody calls you or somebody reaches out to you, don't respond with an email, reach back to them. Like I kind of say that like whatever method or mode of communication they use, you use at least the same one or not or or the one above it. You know what I mean? And we are losing that today. And even with my own kids, I'm like, yo, I just called you. Don't text me. I'm calling you for a reason. Call you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and that concept is not just for adults and children. That's for coworkers. That's for yeah. everybody. You know what I mean? Because if, if I just wanted to send an email, if it wasn't time sensitive, I would do that. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. I just think I just think the soft skills you hit the nail on the head are extremely problematic in trying to interpret and guess what people are thinking and feeling is only more complicated when you're not able to see a face and talk to somebody. You know, that's just the rule of thumb. I had a, I had a rule in my team um, that two emails and a phone call. If you've been chatting with somebody and it's been two emails back and forth and you can't find a solution, I don't want to see any more emails, you call them. And the amount of times we've solved problems for me much faster than otherwise or faster than other teams and the amount of times we've actually mended relationships and actually made friends because of this one phone call is crazy. Yeah. And it's just a simple rule. Pick up the phone because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all trying to work towards one goal that we're all there for. You know, we don't have different goals. If you're in a meeting together, you're probably there for the same reason. So just work with each other. It's simple. Yeah. It's amazing how much time can be eaten up through one email a day. <laughs> it's like, yo, we've been talking for a week. What are we doing here? You know what yeah. I mean? I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Absolutely. And and your, um, you mentioned, you know, hiring people, right? 
And I think you probably have a very similar way of hiring that I do, which is based on potential, the energy and the attitude that somebody brings versus what they've done in the past. So my question for you is how did the NFL influence you on that? Because let's say in training camp, there might be a lot of rookies that haven't performed before because they just, you know, came to the NFL, but they're there because they have the right potential. And is that something you've seen carry over from sports into your business? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of Division One athletes and high school elite stars that fizzle out of the NFL. And it's because they never had to work hard. I actually think making somebody work hard early plays huge dividends down the road as an adult. There are so many kids that I grew up with um, that probably could have been professional athletes, but they were just too good too early. It just came too easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that when it comes easy, you don't look at your toolkit enough and you don't look at what is going to make you better because you're already the best in your little pool that you're in, right? But the lack of vision and the inability to yeah. see, well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of you somewhere else or there's a whole bunch of you scattered over a large peer, uh, a large uh, area of geography. You got to understand that. Like the, how easy it is now, it's not going to stay that way. Very, 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 very few Jerry Rice's out there, right? Very, 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 very few Lamar Jackson's out there, right? Yeah. For the most part, there's a lot of really talented kids and the ones that are willing to grind and be humble and take coaching and go through the hard stuff are the ones that are going to continue to get better at each level. And I think for me, I got better at each level. I was a really good high school athlete. I was a really good college athlete. But guess what? I rose to the occasion at each next step while other kids did not rise to the occasion. And it wasn't because of talent. It was because of psychology and regiment. Yep. They weren't willing to really be self-critical and take the coaching. And, and don't get me wrong, man. There's times when I left practice in tears as a kid because I got dug into by my coaches, you know. The time period that I was coming up in, we, we got coached a lot harder. We got coached a lot harder. But guess what? A lot of those coaches that dug into me, I'm still very close with to this day. Without them, I would not be where I was. And quitting was never an option because I'm that person who if you poke me, prod me, tell me negative stuff, it just lights a fire. You know, some people run away from that. I run into it. I run through it. I'm like, oh, what? Oh, I can't do what? I'm not good enough to do what? Oh, I can't, I'm never going to be what? Okay. Who's I'll show you. Okay, let me write your name down. Let me, who, you? Okay, let me write your name down too. And that same attitude I take into business. Exactly. When a VC, when a VC tells me, oh, your company, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you're, you're doing it wrong. You should be focused on this thing. Or you're doing what with who? Oh, no, this is, they're going to do it better than you. Or wait, you don't have the talent for that. Is that your, you know, I just love the negative feedback that I get because I just take notes on that. And not notes that I go and like sit in my bed at night with my notebook and go, they said this and I, no, not like that. But more like, oh, I've heard that before. You clearly don't know who I am. You clearly don't know that I've, I've been hearing what I can't do my whole life. Dude. All that does yeah. is strengthen my resolve and not, not in a stubborn way, more in like, okay, what does this he or she see that makes them think that I can't do this? Maybe they're onto some flaw in my approach, some flaw in my methodology. Let me go fix that. Or maybe they didn't understand, right? And if you talk to enough VCs, you're gonna hear information that's 180 degrees polar opposite from each other. They all have their own ways on how you should do something. You have to have a strategy rooted in some type of reality mm -hmm. and understanding where the potential information gaps and flaws are. And you have to figure out how to fix them, right? Yep. So the two things that'll drive you crazy as a coach, as an entrepreneur, and as an athlete is, is uncertainty, right? Like, am I good enough? Is this kid good enough? 
Can they do it, right? I believe if you give me enough time, I will eliminate the uncertainty, right? If you give me enough time, I will come up with a solution. And that has been kind of the foundation of what makes me who I am. Trying to minimize uncertainty and solve problems. Um, people always ask me, like, if you were in the corporate world, like, what would you, what would you want to be? I would want to be a chief strategist because chief strategists get to have their hand in every pot of the business, right? Of the implementation of the product, mm -hmm. of the strategy of the product, and the evolution of the product, right? I love that. I love being able to work with all the different teams to augment whatever we're trying to create. So strategy's always kind of been like my foundation. And from everything comes how I operate is the strategy. Like what's the goal? And then reverse engineering it to a, like yeah. backward to go, okay, this is what I want. How do I get there? What issues am I going to encounter? Um, yeah. What issues am I dealing with now? And then solving for that. And, and I still, to this day, it's the only way I know how to operate, but I still find it problematic that a lot of, a lot of other people yeah, in similar positions don't think that yeah. way. I think that's problematic. Yeah. And, and you, you hit exactly the way, you know, what I've been taught and I've been doing as well, and it works, is that everything has a solution if you put it through a framework. And what you have to figure out is what is your framework for your business and what are the rules and guidelines that you want to be operating in, right? Just because a product didn't work or a service didn't work, it doesn't mean that you can't do something different. It just means that you have to put it through enough of an evaluation, identify the problem, identify the root cause objectively and factually, and come up with a solution. I think where most people fail is that they start to base opinions and start to get subjective about things. And that point, yeah, you're gonna say, you know, I failed or it didn't work or whatever, but it's because you didn't actually follow through with the framework and with the methodology you should be operating with. Yeah, and, and one of the things I love about business school is that, you know, like a simple example is like the SWOT analysis, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's not perfect, but guess what? It gets you to think objectively, right? And there's all kinds of other, uh, you know, analytical tools that you can use to really kind of check yourself. And I love that kind of, I'm very, I'm a very passionate, emotional person, but I'm still, I don't let that passion or emotion allow me to make impulsive decisions. Like I'm passionate and emotional because it's my personality. Yes. But when it comes to how I approach business, I'm very logical. You know what I mean, I am a calculated risk taker, but it's because I feel like I have enough information and I can see trends and look at different things. But um, I do believe that had I not gone to business school and got kind of that formal education and that formal background, that's kind of, you know, that, that is that is one of the, the seats at the table too, so to speak. And I don't know if I mentioned it as, as, as yeah. one of the seats, but in, in a way it's one of the most important ones really, you know? And so uh, I pride myself on being able to kind of turn the volume down on certain components when I need to, because they're not serving me at this mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, but when I deal with people, I definitely think emotion and passion is important, you know? Um, and so that's just me being my truest version of myself. I know how to tone it down sometimes. I'd rather not, but I know when I know when I need to be quiet and listen, you know what I mean? So that's a culture, that's man. That's a culture yeah. you want to build, right? Last question before we uh, end the podcast here, Femi. On that same note, on the business side, what is one advice you would like to give the executives of businesses today that are coming out of COVID and how can they better prepare themselves and also find success in this future uncertain world? Yeah, you know, I think it all falls back on communication. I really believe that, you know, I think that it's really important to follow through with people. It's really important to speak, you know, your thoughts 
and be honest and transparent. The biggest problem that I have in regard to execution is when I'm working with a third party and they just go silent. You know, like a small yeah. company like mine, our conversations and our dependency on certain businesses to fill a gap is so important. And when executives and people in positions of collaboration don't hold up their end of the deal, that's a massive problem for a small company like mine. And so when I deal with people, it's all relative, right? There's some young, younger version of myself probably that's out there that's a little further behind than I am. And maybe they'll come into me for advice. And when I say I'm going to give them advice or I'm going to do something, it's so important that you follow through and you own up and own whatever you say you're going to do that you do it. And I think we live in a society today where emails get buried, voicemails get buried, text messages get lost, and people just say, oh, sorry, I got buried. I got That's not a good excuse. Like, there's no excuses, no explanations. Either you did it or you didn't do it. Exactly. And, and I just think that it's really important that we keep our word and that we recognize that we all didn't start on top of the mountain. Like there was a long trekking journey to get there. And don't forget, like there's other people behind you that are further behind than you are, but they're exactly where you were two, three, five, seven, mm -hmm, eight mm -hmm, years ago. Mm -hmm. Don't forget what that was like. And when you give people advice or when you're talking or working with them, follow through. And that's for the people beneath you, um, behind you, following, following you. And also for the companies that you brought in to help you and work with you. Communication is the most important thing and you've got to own it and you've got to follow up on it. And, uh, you know, at the same time, be empathetic, uh, empathetical, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think empathy and compassion is huge. Yeah. And one of the things that I say about Health Real is that we're giving people information they've never seen before. We're giving them health scores. We're giving, we're making weight and body composition recommendations and that's sensitive stuff. And mm -hmm. some people have never seen that before. And you've got to find a nice way to tell somebody they're overweight or obese or that they have high risk for type two diabetes and other comorbidities that come with obesity. Like you've got to find an empathetic, compassionate way of sharing that and non-judgmental as well. Because yeah. at the end of the day, humans are, we are emotional. Like although the data is the data, we're giving it to a, a non-rational being sometimes mm -hmm. and they just want help. And if you get, if you present it to them the wrong way, not only are they not going to uh, accept your help, they're probably going to have some negative things to say as well because they weren't prepared and you were not empathetic or compassionate in your delivery. So empathy and compassion and everything for sure. hundred percent. It's all about people. It's all about people. It is. Well, thank you so much, Femi. This was one of the you know most informative and great podcasts that you know we've had uh, in this season. And I love your energy. So keep it up. Keep the energy. This is you know one of the things that we love about you, Femi. So thanks again for coming. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Hey, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'd we'll love to do it again sometime, man. Definitely. And, awesome. and, and if I can help you with anything or if we can collaborate on anything, let's, let's discuss it, man. Definitely. I love your energy as well. Yeah, very insightful. Thank you. Thank you.